I love mixing it up. I love doing the countdown from time to time. Also, it was so breathy. It was, I know, it was breathy and creepy. <laughs> Oh, I think I have a bit of an eyelash or something in my oh, eye. It's yikes. fine. It feels roughly like a tree branch. Yeah. 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 That's that's usually that's a, what that feels like. That's like the same thing. If I have like a piece of food in my teeth, it feels like I I pretty much have like a whole log in there. You ever have that? It I mean, feels huge. Or my favorite thing is when you can't feel it, and then you look in the mirror, and you're like, "There's a log in my teeth." <laughs> Yeah, the older I get, the more shit gets stuck in my teeth. I'm just, I'm just slowly but surely turning into an 80 year old person well before my time. Me too. <laughs> like a beautiful rose in the garden. <laughs> so, everybody, hello. Well, welcome back to Oddities. Welcome back to Oddities. Welcome back to Strange Town. I'm Cassie. I'm Anna. Before we get started, two things. One, as per usual, our social media information is in the description uh, below this episode. So please follow along. We'd love to have you. Second, one of our listeners graciously wrote to us this week and made a very good point. On our Patreon page, it shows how much we're currently earning every month in donations. And we can't remove that because of the level of Patreon that we have. Uh, So that number that you see there is not how much it costs to donate to our show. Uh, You can donate as low as $1 per month. We did not set up tiers because we would love everybody to donate as much or as little as they are able and willing to do. So we didn't want to have to regulate that or anything because I don't really think that's fair. Just saying. So I mean, I think with like a bigger audience, I can understand it. But we just want everybody to have access, especially in this trying time. For as little for, as they want. For as little as a dollar a month, I don't think you can go below that. Like, I don't think you can give us 50 cents a month. And that's not Although a... Although that'd a, be fucking hilarious. <laughs> that'd be so funny. That's a Patreon thing. But you will get access to a bonus episode every Wednesday. And they're fun. And so I just wanted to, you know, in case there is confusion about that, this listener made a very good point. So I thought I would bring it up. So thank you to the listener and to you all. One other item. We have a merch shop. Check it out. We run specials regularly. Usually it's 15% off or 20% off for free shipping. So check back regularly. And we will try to, um, you know, make posts about it on our social media so you're aware. It's just sometimes, you know, things are pretty hectic for both of us right now. So we we will try our best. But in case we miss it, be sure to check it out frequently because we run lots of sales. That's right. <sighs> Spiel done. How is we? Great job. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, because I don't know if all of our listeners know this, but uh, Cassie and I both have full-time jobs. <laughs> oh, for sure. This is not our... We would love for this to be our full-time job. Like, that is right. the dream for both of us, but it is not yet, yeah. but it will be. Next stop, world domination. Toot toot. All aboard. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. At the beginning of this episode, you heard how we're slowly turning into old people. It's going to be very chill. (laughs) Pretty soon our podcast is just going to be the sound of my knitting needles and nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm going to be complaining about how I don't understand the internet, and that's going to be it. It's going to be the whole podcast. <laughs> uh, get off my lawn. Oh, big time. Um, I'm I'm okay. I'm tired. It was a very rough week. So I have been watching things that only bring me joy. They put Shrek 2 on Hulu. Corey and I almost watched that last night. Not on Hulu. We almost rented it. We don't have Hulu. That sh- that movie is a masterpiece. I love that movie. That of the Shreks, that is by far my favorite. Puss in Boots, awesome. Also, the song Incredible. at the end when the fairy godmother is like, "I need a hero." Her fucking rendition so of good. it, tight. You know, it's so. I even like. There's a whole scene that I completely was just like unaware of. I guess as a child, and Ooh. I was watching, it, and it's when they get arrested. And it's, like, oh. making fun of... Cops of or whatever. Cops. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. And it's, like... And Puss goes, you capitalist pig dogs. <laughs> the, uh, there are a lot of, like... That's a great that, example of a movie so that has... It's so smart. Yeah, it's very smart. And there's, like, a lot of, like, kind of, I mean, adult, I guess, jokes thrown in there that, yeah. like... Now that we're older, it's it, it's a great movie. I love that. Oh, movie. it's so good! And then they find the catnip on it. He goes catnip on him. He uh, goes that's, that's not, not mine. He goes that's uh, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Antonio Banderas. Did you know that means Antonio flags? I love that for him. <laughs> that's just. <laughs> and oh, th- this is the last thing they're using a pepper grinder. Instead of like pepper spray. Yeah, I know. I was like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. I also really like it when Puss in Boots is in the bar uh, and he, they, like, they're depressed and he orders a milk. <laughs> and he goes, just leave the bottle, Doris. <laughs> if you can't tell, I watched this movie a few times because it brought me so much joy. Great movie. And sometimes I- that's all you can do is just find joy like that. And I've been watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, too. Oh, that's a good one, too. Oh, but... This, I was interested because there's a show on Netflix this week. It's called Who Killed Sarah? But it's, to me, it's like a Spanish soap. So I it's thought supposed only, to be good, right? I thought only Netflix was recommending it to me because I watch a lot of Spanish soap operas. <laughs> no, it's like going up. And then I saw it was like number one in the US. I was like, what? Is it good? I, I I mean, I watch a lot of telenovelas. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Like, I, I don't know... I don't know the answer to the title yet. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a real good like whodunit. Yeah, it's got a lot of telenovela-esque themes to it. Maybe we'll like, check it out. Everyone's having an affair. Everyone's lying. For some reason in telenovelas, every single person has a secret. Oh, yeah. And I, oh, yeah. I don't know why that is. <laughs> Juicy AF, you know. But yeah, it's it's very good. And the the het, the lead guy is from Narcos. And he was very good in Narcos and he's very good in this. Oh, cool beans. And that's been me. How are you? I'm good. This was a busy week. There was something like very significant every single day this week. I had an exam on Thursday, uh, but that's my last exam until the finals. So that's We love that. But in the meantime, I have two presentations and two problem sets. (laughs) And two what? Problem sets. But they're not like, they're not like textbook problem sets. They're like, um... It's almost like mini papers, kind of. It's what is a problem set? Like a set of problems to do, like homework. But like, but the way they do it, instead of it, instead of it being um, like a multiple choice thing or like a you know a bunch of math. Well, some of it's math, but like 
mostly it's it's kind of like mini essays so that's really stupid Oh, I see. I thought that seems like a strange phrase. That phrase is very unfamiliar to me. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was. I thought it was like literally like you were back doing math equations. I was like, what's going on? Well, I am in a sense on some of them. Yeah, but no, it's so it's it's kind of like homework. It's I don't know. It's very strange. So anyway, I've got that in the meantime, but no tests until finals. So that's great. And you better believe my ass. My ass is taking those tests like the first day that the teacher drops them because um, I am taking courses this summer as well so i have a very very small break so i want to give myself as long of a break as possible a thousand percent so mama's gonna start studying early oh and the other yeah oh sorry i just thought about the other exciting news is this monday i'm getting my first shot vaccine. yes and i had my first one it went well uh my arm was a little sore for like maybe like a day and a half but not a big deal um so yeah, next round is the round where I, I anticipate maybe uh, potentially taking a sick day. <laughs> right. Yeah, I have a feeling I'm going to need to, too. Yeah. And I just saw that the CDC said people that are fully vaccinated can now safely travel in the U.S. They're like, everyone, they're like do, releasing yeah. all the the rules for people who are fully vaccinated. I'm losing my mind. I'm going to see people again. <laughs> I know. That's what I was just thinking. I was like, oh, my God, Anna and I are going to be able to like record together in person and hang out. Dude, I was like, yo, the second I'm like my two weeks or whatever after yeah, two my or second three weeks shot, or whatever like, it is. I'm yeah. I'm getting in the car and coming to see you. <laughs> Road trip, baby. I love it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And then we could do ghost hunting. And find the find the bruja in the woods. Yeah, Streganona. We'll bring her some meatballs. <laughs> you bring me these meatballs. Bring me these meatballs. I won't sacrifice your firstborn. <laughs> the god Strega. That's right. <laughs> the Strega father. <laughs> this is about to be like Strega Nona also sounds like Marlon Brando. <laughs> All Italians sound like Marlon Brando, according to That's me. Right. I mean, if they hit old enough, yeah, they kind of do. Mamma Mia, you know. But yeah, anyway, uh, aside from all that, uh, things are good, the usual. I've got a really unique setup with my equipment today. My headphones <laughs> my headphones are like Bluetooth ones, but the, the battery was low, and I have like a, one of those portable chargers, but the portable charger is too heavy to hang off of the headphones. So I have the portable charger tucked into my, the, the strap of my sports bra, and then it's plugged into my headphones from there. It's always something with technology on oddities. You look like you're part cyborg. I do. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of feel cool. Yeah, anyway, that's a, that's about it. Um, so what do we have today? Would you like to go first? Because you said yesterday you have a dope topic, direct quote. Yeah, but yours is quite sad, right? Mine's a little heavy. A lot heavy. Do we want to end on a lighter baller topic? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. All right. Okay. So this is a <clears throat> this is a listener request. I'd like to give a trigger warning because there will be discussion of suicide because today's topic, as you can tell by the... Well, actually, no, you may not tell. It's called Aoki Gahara, but that's the suicide forest in Japan is what mm-hmm. it's known as by, I guess, us. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, so if you're uncomfortable, of course, but of course, feel free to skip ahead and you don't have to listen to me discuss this. Yeah. Yeah. So... As I said, Aoki Gahara is also known as the Sea of Trees, and it's a forest on the northwestern flank of Japan's Mount Fuji. And it is uh, 30 square, it, it, 
nope, nope. We're gonna st- we're gonna start again there. It it, it's, <laughs> it lives on thirty square kilometers or twelve square miles of hardened lava laid down by the last major eruption of Mount Fuji in eight hundred sixty four. God damn. I know. Excuse me, I have indigestion a little bit. <laughs> the western side of Aokigahara, where there are several caves um, that fill with ice in winter, is a popular destination for tourists and school trips. That seems a little school wild trips. to me, that they're bringing school trips here. No? I mean, what's the purpose of the school trip? I guess to check out the ice caves. Oh. I don't know, but Seems, anyway. I would be very nervous that a child would wander off. <sighs> yeah, 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 big time. Uh, I guess sign a waiver before <laughs> you bring yeah, the kids time. in there. <laughs> Parts oh, of this forest are quite dense, and the lava uh, that it is, like, I guess built upon, if you, if you will, um, absorbs sound, which helps to provide visitors with a sense of solitude. The forest. Wow. Wow, my voice just cracked. Did you hear that? The forest. <laughs> wow, puberty. Okay. The forest has a historical reputation as a home to yorei, which are ghosts of the dead in Japanese mythology. In recent years, Aokigahara has become known as the suicide forest, and it is one of the world's most used suicide sites. Uh, signs at the head of Yikes. some trails urge suicidal visitors to think of their families and contact a suicide prevention association. I think that's great. I do too. That they put the signs up with like, and the suicide prevention, like they had like the phone numbers. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, and the sign reminds visitors that life is a precious gift from their parents. And then it says quietly think once more about your parents, siblings, or children. Please don't suffer alone and first reach out. That's a good message. I, I just love the fact that they've seen a pattern here and we're like, we're going to set up these signs. Yeah, let's so do something least, about it. Right. Yeah. I think that's I think that's great. Um, let's see. So some of these I have some statistics here. They're a little bit older. So just, you know, everybody shut up. In 2003, <laughs> 105 bodies were found in the forest, um, exceeding the previous record of 78 in 2002. In 2010, the police recorded more than 200 people having attempted suicide in the forest, of whom 54 completed the act. And suicides are said to increase during March at the end of the fiscal year in Japan. That makes sense, actually. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. It's so scary and sad. It is so sad. Um, As of 2011, uh, the most common means of suicide in the forest uh, was by hanging or drug overdose. I... I have, my mouth has just been dropped open since you started reading these facts. Now, here's something that I I like. Uh, I mean, there's, like is maybe not the right term for this, but this is something that I I would encourage. In recent years, local officials have stopped publicizing numbers in an attempt to decrease Aoki Gahara's association with suicide. I think that could be. That's very smart, I think. I think think that's a good move. Um, Yeah. And, you know, like I said, the rate of suicide led officials to place the signs at the forest entry. Uh, They do conduct annual body searches by police, volunteers, and journalists. And that started back in 1970. Um, Part of the site's popularity has been attributed to... I'm going to fuck this name up. And I looked it up and I should have, like, written down, I guess, the uh, phonics of it. But it, it... God damn it, I'm going to bastardize this. Seicho Matsumoto. Okay. 
uh, that was a 1961 novel that this this person wrote. <laughs> I'm not going to say the name again. The novel was it roughly translates to a Tower of Waves. Um, however, the history of suicide in Aoki Gahara um, predates the novel's publication, and the place has long been associated with death. Ubasute. <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> I fuck. I fucking. There's too many words in this one. That's what happens with these like these topics that I cover that have to do with like a foreign location and a different language. I, dude, I try. I have, best. I have the phonetic spelling next to. Yeah, this this whole episode is just going to be me and Cassie trying to pronounce things. We're sorry. We're sorry. Bastardizing. Anyway, Ubasute is kind of this m- supposed mythical practice of senicide in Japan where they supposedly leave an elderly relative like to a remote lo- like in a remote location and they're left there to die. So it's been known to be a site of that um into the 19th century. And then the forest is, like I said, reputedly haunted by the yure of those left to die. That's very sad to me. That's Anna's face. Yeah, Anna's face when I was reading that was, yeah, yeah. I was just I mouth I covered. Hope that's heart heartbreaking. I know this is why I gave the trigger warning at the because this is a heavy topic. So um, now there are several types of suicide prevention that have been enacted. Uh, Let's see. Japan's government has enacted a plan of action that aims to reduce rates by 20% within seven years. Uh, Part of the measures include posting security cameras at the entrance of the suicide force and increasing patrols. Suicide counselors and police have also, like I said, posted those signs at the front. It's considered a naturally eerie location, aside from, like, its reputation, uh, because the forest trees organically, like, twist and turn. Their roots wind across the floor in, like, kind of treacherous threads. Because of its location at the base of a mountain, the ground is uneven, rocky, perforated with caves in the hundreds. Um, but more jarring than that is kind of, like, the isolation that's created from that stillness, which involves the, like, lava soil, I guess you could say, that I talked about before. Um, trees are too tightly packed for winds to pass through them. Wildlife is exceptionally sparse. Uh, and one visitor described the silence as, quote, chasms of emptiness. And she added, quote, I cannot emphasize enough the absence of sound. My breath sounded like a roar. That person should write a book, first of all. For Poetic as all hell. And also, I want to go just to witness that. I kind of would like to go and... You know, if they're doing like school trips, I got to think that there are certain areas of the forest that are I don't, like maybe like uh, safer for tourism, I would say. Right. You know, like I, I wouldn't want to go as a sign of like disrespect. I would want to go just to no, not witness at all. what it's like to hear the sound be absorbed. That silence. Like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so going back about the novel that I touched on. So back in 1960, Seicho Matsumoto released the tragic novel Kuroi Jukai. <laughs> I tried. And basically in it, a heartbroken lover retreats to the sea of trees, a.k.a. Aoki Gahara, to end her life. And the romantic imagery has proved a seminal and sinister influence on Japanese culture. And also looped into the lore uh, is the complete suicide manual, which dubs Aoki Gahara the perfect place to die. And the book has been found among the abandoned possessions of many suicide forest visitors. Um, now going back to that Ubasute, which I talked about, which is, you know, it, it roughly translates to abandoning the old woman. 
it's an uncommon practice now. Uh, and I think it was, I don't know how common it was like back way back. Um, and a lot of times people would only have resorted to it in desperate times of famine, where a family would lessen the amount of mouths to feed by leaving. They would lead an elderly relative to a mountain or similarly remote location uh, to die, not by means of suicide, but by dehydration, starvation, or exposure. Some say that this is not at all a real occurrence, but just grim folklore. Um, but regardless, stories involving the Sea of Trees being a site for this type of thing have kind of been a part of its mythos, you could say. Which I could totally see why that would contribute to this whole concept that it's haunted. Oh, yeah. Um, some believe that the ghosts, Yure, of those abandoned by the Ubasute and mournful spirits of the suicidal linger in the woods. Uh, folklore claims they are vengeful and dedicated to tormenting visitors and luring those that are sad and lost off the path. I touched on before about the annual searches that started way back in 1970 and continue to this day. Um, and it's it's been said that, like, there's a few things that are interesting. A lot of times people who venture into the forest will leave, like, a string trail so that they don't get lost because I guess it's that's how easy it is to get just totally Jesus. lost. Like, they'll, like, loop strings around trees as they're moving, like, right. like yarn, kind of. Right, um, right. It has been said that bringing a tent into the forest suggests doubt. Like, camping is allowed in the area, but visitors who bring a tent with them are believed to be undecided on their suicide attempt. Some will camp for several days, debating their fates. People on prevention patrols will gently speak with these campers and entreat them to leave the forest. Wow. Um, and it's so thick, like I said, that some visitors use string or tape to avoid getting lost. Some will use, like, plastic ribbons. Um, otherwise, one could easily lose their bearings and you know, basically become lost. Now, theoretically, I think there's like kind of a path that you can follow in it, but it sounds like it's probably likely pretty overgrown would be my best guess. <clears throat> and then if you get lost, you're stuck in a soundproof room made by nature. I would say it would be so easy to basically lose your mind, right? A thousand percent. And here's what's, here's something else that's interesting and slash and or very bad. You can't necessarily call for help because it has, uh, so the soil is rich with very magnetic iron and the soil wreaks havoc on cell phone service, GPS systems, and compasses. And this is of why, course. of course it does. And this is why tape and ribbon and yarn are so crucial for people. Jesus. Some say <clears throat> that all of those things don't work because of demons lurking in the dark. Oh my God. Demons. And Demons. not everybody who does go there has death on their their like mind. Like not everybody who heads there is necessarily right. heading there for suicide. Some locals say that the natural wonder is known first and foremost for its uh, lethal allure, but others say that you can take in gorgeous views of Mount Fuji. You can visit highlights like the distinctive lava plateau. There are three hundred year old trees. There is the Narusawa Ice Cave. So there are all these beautiful natural things within this forest that attract a lot wow. of visitors for that. I, I would really like to go here. Me too. I also, that was going to be one of my questions, is if that's the sole reason why people go, is to take their own lives. Yeah, so not necessarily. That's just kind of the, I mean, I think that's a that's a big thing. Uh, right. And I wholeheartedly support their efforts to try and help people. But um, right. I think that there is also a lot of this very natural beauty that draws people. I would bet any money, too, that if you were to go to Japan in this area, you can probably find, like, tour guides who will lead you to these different 
locations within the people who are very familiar. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm. I'm just very curious because it seems like it's so easy to get lost. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like if people are going in, you're going in with a very specific purpose, and then you're getting out. Pretty if much. You, like you're just visiting to see like the sites and things. Right. Yeah. Um, going off the path can obviously lead to some pretty, uh, dark discoveries. If you, like, the the internet is just filled with, like, pretty disturbing images of things, um, you know, but also including, like, abandoned personal effects that are caught in undergrowth, human bones, um, remains that are across the, you know, forest floor that have fallen from branches. Uh, so if you head into the forest... Do as the sign suggests and stay as close to the path as possible. Now, some say, like, here, there's a few, like, explanations as to why a lot of people go here for for suicide. Um, three decades ago, a Japanese psychiatrist was interviewed, um, and, and they interviewed a handful of Aoki Gahara survivors, like suicide survivors. And mm-hmm. this psychiatrist wrote that a key reason was that and this was kind of like a common thread among the survivors, they believed that they would be able to die successfully without being noticed. Um, the psychiatrist also feels... The psychiatrist's name, by the way, is Dr. Yoshimoto... Nope. Yoshitomo Takahashi. Got it. Believe that movies and media reports have also played a role, which I would argue, yes. Like, sure. that definitely perpetuates it. Some may have traveled to the forest from other provinces because they wanted to share the same place with others and belong to a similar group of people. It's also been pointed out in research by Emory University anthropologist Chicago Ozawa de Silva on the trend of online suicide forums in Japan. Um, according to Ozawa de Silva, the internet provides an outlet for those seeking social connection and who fear isolation and looking to die with others. Um, and so Nakamura sees a potential parallel to the thought process surrounding the forest that many people who have committed suicide at Aoki Gahara, so therefore you won't die alone. If that makes sense. Yeah, I could could see it. Yeah. But I I also feel like for the people that were like, oh, you know, my death will, you know, your death will be unnoticed. No death is unnoticed. No death is unnoticed. Yeah. It's, um, it's sad. Um, It really is. And again, I already touched on the compasses before behaving strangely. A lot of people will chalk it up to paranormal activity in the forest, but of course it's really just the iron. So there's one other thing to point out, and it's in the Japanese popular belief that if a person dies in a deep sense of hatred, anger, sadness, or desire for revenge, their soul can't leave the world and continues to wander, appearing to people affected by the spell or those who cross his path. And this ties into the whole concept of yore, um, and they can be found in a lot of modern cultural references and movies. Like, they talk about this in The Ring, I'm pretty sure. No, not The Ring. Sorry. Uh, the Grudge. I think so. And there was a movie with uh, the girl from um, Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm going to talk about that, too, in a second. Um, and so... Unlike Western horror movies where the ghosts want something specific in order to rest in peace, it's argued that Yure can be the opposite where they don't necessarily want anything in particular. They just want to either have this curse removed or conflicts resolved. So I guess, Hmm. but to me though, it's like, well, that is still something 
like wanting something you know but i don't know right and, anyway and they they can't like rest peacefully right exactly so to me it's yeah. still kind of a similar concept but so i watched i think it's called the forest the one that has I think so yeah it's pretty good i watched it a while back and now that i've done this research for the podcast i would say that they actually covered a lot of things pretty well in that movie like in the forest, they show the tape and, and the yarn. They show tents having been abandoned. They talk about how that can show possible doubt. They talk about, like, the silence that you have in, in the forest. They show the signs mm-hmm. when you walk in. So I think, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's an okay movie. It's not amazing. But I think they did a kind of good job sticking to some facts there. I, I thought they did that nicely. I'm curious as to how people of the Japanese culture feel when they make movies about this forest. I would be curious about that too. Like, would that be something that would, I feel like I would be, um, I don't know if I would be angered by it, but I, I don't think I would really appreciate it. I don't think I'd be happy. Uh, uh-uh. uh, so I like to me, I don't really know if I have the right word for how I'd feel about it, but it, like you said, it's not something that I would be happy about. Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious as to how, they feel about it like when they see that movie get made i I was just curious as to like what the reception in japan was like yeah i don't know um it's an interesting thing and i like this is this is a different topic but it's just kind of occurring to me like all of these things about it's haunted it's you know all the paranormal the yure the the stuff that Mm -hmm. you know whatever because of uba sute all of that like, just, if you, like, you and I talked about this a little bit, there's, okay, clearly there's, like, some electromagnetic activity going on there. There's, mm-hmm. the, like, it's so thick you can hardly hear anything, so if it's that thick, it's also probably very dark, I would assume, in a lot of spots. I to me, imagine, yeah. To me, uh, I don't, well, I don't know. I don't know that it's necessarily haunted, but I think that your mind could very, very easily play tricks on you in a setting like that. It kind of reminds yeah. me a little bit of the Hoya Bakchu forest that I covered a while back. Yeah, a long time ago. A long now. time ago. Um, and so there's some similarities there in my mind a little bit. Uh, so I think that like an, a location like this, when you walk in and, and you're already in that frame of mind, like I think that mm-hmm. it's very easy for the forest to probably play games with your mind. For sure. Um, I think so. You know, play tricks on it. So I think that's just an interesting point to consider. And um, I don't know, but at the same time, though, the other side of the coin, like you and I have talked about how we feel that places can, you know, maybe not necessarily absorb, but like energies can remain with places where something very bad has happened. And if you have this staggering number of suicides and suicide attempts, I got to think that maybe there's not a great energy around there either. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm, and it could very well be a combination of the two things. For sure, it could be that there's there's not a good energy around it. People walk up, they have the the history, they have this the preceding intent, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and like the fear that kind of sits with it, and it's creepy on its own. It sounds like. Yeah, right. So I think it's kind of. I think this is another one of those locations where it's sort of a perfect storm of things. It certainly sounds that way. Yeah, so it's it was a really interesting topic to research. It was heavy. You know, please, if you decide to go on to research it more yourself, like, just, you know, I, I caution you that there's a lot of heaviness around it. Um, but thank you very much to the person who wrote in and suggested it. Actually, a couple of you did. 
Uh, so this is why I decided to cover it because I was like, well, if we've got a couple requests for it, it's probably a pretty good one to do. So it was it was super yeah. interesting, but it's it's heavy. Yeah. And if you know someone or you feel in any kind of way like that, please reach out. Of course. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of resources, you know, available now. Yeah. So which is great. And I do like I something that is like a bright spot for me in researching this is all of these different um initiatives, I guess you could say, that the Japanese Japanese, did you hear that? The Japanese <laughs> government is rolling out to try and help with this. I think that's great. Yeah, I do. And I think it's I think the governments of the world I'm saying in a very general sense, mm-hmm. need to start focusing more on mental health. Big time. I think we're scratching the surface of it, at least in our country, but like, there's so much more that needs to be done all over. Yeah. And I think in respect to jobs, where we prioritize mm-hmm. jobs over mm-hmm. people's mental health, we need to reverse that. Yeah, that needs to change. That's so antiquated and, and really just not at all fair, and it's shitty. Right. Yeah. It so. is shitty. Your job isn't your life. Your life is your life. That's exactly right. And unfortunately, society has raised us to think otherwise, and that's bullshit. Right. Yeah. So there you go. A PSA to wrap mine up. Now, why don't you give us some brighter days? All right. I'm going to talk about... Mm. Now, I'm going to say this is a blanket term. I put all the phonetic spelling next to my words but I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> I should have done that. And I always tell myself to do that. And then I do it like 50% of the time. And I'm a dumbass. Uh, so I just want to say I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, just apply that to this whole episode, okay? We're just, we're sorry. <laughs> we're sorry. We're just two American girls. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> we're two American girls speaking in front of you, asking you to forgive us <laughs> we're sorry we're i'm preemptively sorry so i'm gonna talk about the onabu geisha Ooh, i don't know this is exciting mm. so although samurai is strictly a male term female warriors existed in japan since as early as 200 a.d oh my god cool mm-hmm so cool. This is this is the dopest shit ever. They were known as Onabugeisha, meaning female warrior. These women were trained in martial arts and strategy and fought alongside samurai to defend their homes, families, and honor. Wow, badass and progressive. Mm-hmm. Before the 12th century with the rise of the samurai class, Onabugeisha were part of the Bushi, which is a noble class of feudal Japanese warriors, and were acknowledged to be every bit as strong, deadly, and fearless as their male counterparts. Amazing. Also, side note, I like how bushy kind of sounds like bougie. <laughs> it sounds like bougie. Yeah, right. So <laughs> I just really like that. <laughs> I just like that we're always like kind of making fun of a noble class I- in every culture. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we're like, ugh, we'll give them a stupid name. <laughs> So their main weapon was uh, Naginata. This was a weapon that was specifically designed for women and was used by the Onabugeisha. What did it look like? It was very versatile, a conventional pole with a curved blade at the tip. Its length allowed the Onabugeisha better balance given their smaller stature. Oh, efficient. I love that. So they designed a weapon mm-hmm. built for women. That's great. It's genius. Why are we not still doing this? So, in the event that their communicate communiques, I like that. That's the word. That's I the, I the one up. that throws you off. Yep. Well, so yeah. did, so did Japanese for me. I'm like Japanese. 
<laughs> Again, we're sorry. In the event that their communities were overrun by enemy warriors, the Onabugeisha were expected to fight to the end and die with honor, weapons in hand. Badass. Here's the thing. This makes so much goddamn sense. Yeah. Why would you not arm and prepare half of your fucking population? For sure. I am staunchly for this. So during a peaceful time during the Edo period, the Naginata became a symbol of status and was often included as part of the dowry of a noblewoman. That's arguably (laughs) the coolest part of the dowry. Let's be real. She was like, that's my sword. Don't touch it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So she comes with sheep and whatever, but does she come with a Naginati or whatever it's called? (laughs) (laughs) And like, they're like, yeah, it's over there. Don't touch it. She'll kill you. That is hers. It was made for her. So after Tomo Gozen, who I'll get to, okay. the the Onabugeisha flourished and made up a large part of the samurai class. Female warriors would protect villages and open schools across the Japanese empire to train young women in martial arts and military strategy. Oh, fantastic. Did they have cool armor, too? I want to know if their armor looked similar to, like, samurai armor. I'd be curious. It did. Yeah. In all in all the pictures I saw, it like did. It looks similar cool. to samurai armor. Which is badass looking, by the way. Cool design. It is. Although there were many different clans spread throughout Japan, all of them included samurai warriors, and all were open to the Onabugeisha. That's amazing. Historical sources offer few accounts of the Onabugeisha as the traditional role of a Japanese noblewoman was restricted to homemaker and wife. Mm. But recent research has indicated that Japanese women frequently fought in battles, remains from the site of the Battle of Senbon Matsubaru, sorry, I, yeah. in 1580, showed 35 out of the 105 bodies were female. Ah, that's almost half. That's fucking wild. That's amazing. Well, it's like a third. That's amazing. So, let's talk about some famous Onabugeisha. Okay, please. The... There was an empress that was an Onabugeisha. That's, that's how it should be, I feel like. No? I think so. Empress Jingu, who ruled from 169 to 269, was one of the first female warriors in the history of Japan. Get it. Hold on. And she also ruled for like 100 years? Yeah, just wait. Jesus Christ. Okay. She She's fucking baller. She was still kicking ass when she's... The woman's probably like almost, I don't know, 150 years old or something, and she's still kicking ass. Okay. She's, she's dope. So following the death of her husband, the emperor, she took the throne. Okay, cool. And personally led an invasion of Sila, which is present-day Korea. Oh my god, we love a hands-on leader. She is said to have been pregnant when she bound her body, donned men's clothes, and rode into battle. I think that's why the armor looks similar. Because mm, I think it, they were just like, it works. Yeah, it works. And like, what, why is there a wide, you know, distinguish between the two? As long as it's not something that was going to like weigh them down or whatever, you know? Right. The legend says that she led the successful expedition without shedding a drop of blood and continued to rule over Japan for the next 70 years until the age of 100. Holy shit. And casually being pregnant while she did that whole, like, shebang at the there. And just destroyed bitches. Oh, my God. That's the time to have a woman do something, right? What a big time. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just, just if so anybody's going to destroy anybody, it's going to be a pregnant woman, and I'm, I love it. God bless. In 18... 18- 
1881, she became the first woman to be on a Japanese banknote. As as it should be. Well deserved. So now we're going to get into one of the most famous Onabugeisha, who was Tomo Gozen. Oh, okay. Wow. See, when you said that name earlier, for some reason in my mind, it was a dude. I don't know why. It does. Even when I read it, I was like, wait, what? And for some reason, that that I guess the phonetics of it sounds like mas- like a masculine name to me. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So during the Genpei War, which went from 1180 to 1185, it was which was between rival dynasties of Minamoto and Taira, a Japanese female warrior emerged. Here she is. Here she is. Ta-da! So Tomo Gozen was a legendary swordswoman whose expert talents included archery, horseback riding, and the art of the katana, which is the iconic sword used by the samurai. Amazing. So she doesn't In, use the nugget. Uh, never mind. I'm going to fuck the, it up. The other thing. <laughs> the naginata? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I, I think she does, but I think she also... But she, like, specialized was, in these... Okay, got it, yeah. got it, got it, got it. Cool. Like, I think she was just dope as hell. Fucking multi-talented. That's right. In the 14th century piece called The Tale of Haiku, Gozen was described as, quote, a remarkably strong archer, and as a swordswoman, she was a warrior worth a thousand, ready to confront a demon or a god, mounted or on foot, unquote. Talk about a prepared woman. Ready to confront a, a demon, demon or, a, or god. a god. I love that. I, too, want to be ready to confront demons and gods anytime. What a baller. Holy shit. So she was one of the few warriors that engaged in offensive battle, known as Onamusha, rather than defensive fighting, more commonly used by traditional Onabugeisha. Interesting. I like the concept, yeah. though, that, like, traditionally the Onu... The on, oh, fuck. Traditionally, yeah, it was the, a defensive tactic. I like that. I think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's, that could be why she also was good at the katana, because she was... She's got both. A, ...an offensive fighter. Yeah, yeah. She's got a little... little a little... You know, Cassie's just moving back and forth. Yeah, that's right. As the Japanese would say, (laughs) that's right. Yeah, yeah, we're multicultural here. She was respected and trusted by her troops on the battlefield. In 1184, she led 300 samurai into a fierce battle against 2,000 Tyro clan warriors and was one of only five to survive. Dude, talk about balls! Truly, you know. Later that same year, during the Battle of Awazu, she defeated the Mushashi clan leader, decapitating him and keeping his head as a trophy. We love us a trophy. Got it. Thanks we for the memories. We love a bad bitch. We do. We <laughs> <laughs> memories. <laughs> oh, that was funny. That really got me. She was so well respected that her leader, Lord Kizu no Yoshinaka, considered her the first true general of Japan. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And she should so, be. This This is a bad fucking bitch. I just love that she decapitated that guy and was like, now his head's mine. And this is mine. <laughs> and then she probably, I don't know, carried around as like a good luck charm or something. Who knows? I, I just, I thought of the, I don't know if you ever watched the show Vikings, I but know. I thought of this. The scene invite. It's fine. But I thought of this. I mean, it was good. And then all of a sudden, like season four, you're like, where are we going? Sounds like but Game of Thrones. Big time. A thousand percent. <laughs> but in Vikings, one of the most baller women, she 
take someone's head and just whip someone else in the face with it. And that's what I feel Love like. Love that. Oh, yeah. What a big old move. I mean, not a yeah. move. Mood, too. All of it. It's both. It's both. a move and a mood. Everybody shut up. So let's talk about Hojo Masako. Okay. Because she's, she's wild. All of these women. She was... Yeah, they're crazy. They're great. She was she was the wife of the first shogun of Japan in the Kamakura period, which was 1185 to 1333. She was the first Onabu geisha to be a prominent player in politics. Oh, here cool. we go. Here we go. A little dabble here, a little dabble there. A little there. dabble there. After the death of her husband, she became a Buddhist nun, which was a traditional fate for samurai widows. Apparently, so is shaving their heads. Okay, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Love that. But she didn't take up residency at a nunnery or a convent, but instead continued to be involved in politics. Cool. She played a critical role in her two sons acting as shogun, although her her two sons sound like they were like, ugh. Oh, Like okay. they just sounded crazy. And I think because they called this, I think the Kamakura period, I think they were, they. I read they called it like the age of regents because it was always just like someone... Of, like, a clan, just, like, like no one, like, blood belonged there, I don't think. Okay, all right. And it doesn't sound particularly unified. No. Okay, right. And that's, like, her one son died because a different clan wanted him dead, and, like, and then her other son, it seemed like he ruled, and then he didn't. It all seemed very confusing. Okay, that sounds like a whole thing. Yeah. But she continued to her rule, even after the upheaval of regents, and she remained in powerful powerful positions to the court no matter who was in charge nice okay so she was always just like chilling yeah she's like i'm here she consolidated her rule under the advisory council she managed relationships and connections between imperial and aristocratic families and administered judgments and post-war rewards oh that would be my favorite part (laughs) administering judgments get over here (laughs) come here i hate you (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Shut up. We've had enough out of you. Get out. She. Oh, so in an era that acknowledged the authority and legitimacy of women in a ruling position, her dominance enabled the Hojo clan to dominate the Kamakura shogunate, which was the feudal military government until the downfall in 1333. Later, she was given the nickname Ama Shogun, which means nun shogun, which is adorable. That's so cute. Also, like, Buddhist monks and nuns blow my mind. They're, like, capable of so much shit. And I I just like that she was like, okay, you know, my husband died. I'm going to shave my head and I'm going to become a traditional samurai widow. And then all of a sudden she was like, no, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to mix it up a little, you know. And then they were just like, oh, she's the Ama Shogun. Like, she was just like. She's she, chilling. She carved out a little little niche for herself there. And that seems like what all these women do. Yeah, well... It's, it's interesting. Pretty much they, it, the theme among all of these is that they're so good that they can't be denied some kind of status, title, like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They're all and so makes, good that it, nobody can, like, refute them, pretty much. It also, I think, is an interesting thing that they also were treated with equality it seems like even on the battlefield and respect and yeah right right so i think that they never i'm sure they were met they faced inequality at a certain point but i feel like yeah reaching having that baseline of being like i can fight next to you yeah 
offers a certain kind of confidence. For sure. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about ninjas for a hot second. Oh, but chaos has entered the chat. That's right. <laughs> so during the 16th century, it was dated that there was an existence of female ninjas called kunoichi. Oh. Ninjas were used as killers, spies, messengers, and were trained in multiple kinds of martial arts. Love that. A historically accepted example is Mochizuki Chi-On. Of course. Those were, I read it phonetically, that's why I paced it that weird way. Mm. She was a poet and a noblewoman who was commissioned by a warlord to create a secret all-female group of spies. Very cool, very cool. She recruited prostitutes and other women that were considered, quote, wayward, and trained them to become information gatherers, seductresses, messengers, and assassins. Okay, literally, though, there is not a better group of women to select for that type of job. Also, and they say this in the show Killing Eve, and I think this is interesting, most men aren't going to consider women a threat. Right. So women are able to get close to them. Yeah, and especially women in those positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very interesting. Her underground network learned to disguise themselves as shrine maidens, priestesses, or geisha, which allowed them to move freely and gain access to targets. Very cool. Very cool. Very smart. Eventually, Chiom and her kunoichi had set up an extensive network of between 200 and 300 agents that served the Takeda clan. That's a lot. 200 and 300? That's dope as hell. That's so cool. All right, so now we're going we're gonna to get to the end of this period. So the Battle of Azu of 1868 is considered the Onabugesha's final stand sort of thing. 21-year-old female warrior called Nakano Takeko led a group of female samurai known, known as the Joshitai against the emperor's forces. Takeko was the daughter of a high-ranking official in the imperial court, and was highly educated and trained in martial arts and the use of the naginata. Under her command, the Joshitai fought alongside the male samurai, killing many enemy warriors in close combat. Get it. Get it. She suffered a bullet to her chest, Oh! and as she was dying, told her sister to cut off her head so that her body would not be taken as an enemy trophy. Oh, I love that. Here's my question. Have you heard of anything more gangster in your entire life? That is life? so gangster. While I'm on my way out, please cut off my head so nobody else can use this shit. It belongs to me. That's, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. It's amazing. Hell yeah. Nakano Takeko is widely considered to be the last great female samurai warrior, and the Battle of Azu is considered to be the last stand of the Onabugeisha. Shortly uh, after that, the, sh- the shogunate fell, mar- marking an end of the samurai era. Hmm. So the Edo period came, and there was a huge shift to the status of women in Japan. Although women continued to fight in battles, their status was greatly diminished. As the male samurai turned their attention away from war, the function of the Onabugeisha changed. Many samurai began to view women purely as childbearers, unfit as a companion in war. And travel for them became difficult in the Edo period as they couldn't travel without a male companion. Bring back the... No, I don't like... This is like a... This is a... This is a bastardization. Like we went backwards. No, stop. All this stop. Bring back the OG Onabugeisha and and all of the mindset surrounding that. Also, if you're someone who 
is now transferring into the Edo period and you were a warrior and now they're like, no, you can't go somewhere without a male companion. I'd be like, fuck off. I just don't understand like why they wouldn't recognize how beneficial it was to have all of it. Well, actually, I know exactly why. Here comes Mm -hmm. the power struggle. Here comes the fear. Here comes the realization that, oh, look, the ladies can do it too, et cetera, et cetera. Am I hitting the nail on the head here? Also, I mean, that's the only thing I can assume. Also, I guess as times turn more peaceful, they were like, oh, you know, we don't really need you. So, like, we'll do it. Yeah, right, right, right. And now also, by the way, you're second-class citizens again. Yeah, wow. That's just, wow, I was so, um, like, built up and empowered, and now I'm sad. (laughs) I still think they're dope as hell. They are, for sure. I just wish that it didn't have to end like that, you know? So upper class women became pawns to success or power through marriage, which we've seen that. That's that's classic course, right, the right. world. And history has mostly buried the Onabugeisha, mainly as Westerners' intrusion began to rewrite history of Japanese warring culture, resulting in the world's idea that samurai were strictly men. Fuck. But that is the awesome story of the Onabugeisha. That is a story that should be told and shouted from the mountaintops and everything else. Right? Yeah. What was that? That was Donut. Something happened out there. I'm afraid to look, so it's fine. (laughs) Anyway. I I think that's, like, I realize this is an oddities podcast, but I think this is a wild fucking story. Well, I think it can kind of almost qualify as an oddity. It's something that's been kind of, like, forgotten. It's it's like this sort of mysterious thing that people just, like, didn't know really exist. I didn't know this existed, and I studied fucking history. You know, I, I was like looking through this and all of a sudden I was like, what is this name that keeps popping up? Yeah. And I clicked on it and I was like, what the hell is this? Like, I feel like a door opened in my mind. I was like, what is this? It's amazing. It's, it's so cool. I love, I love all of this except for the ending bit. That part made me sad and frustrated. I mean, well, that to me is I'm also not surprised. Right. This sounds like a, a really awesome like female this sounds like mad max fury road but for like the japanese culture and in real time yeah right and in real life and then all of a sudden like reality comes back wow this was a really interesting cool japanese episode yeah wow and i i didn't even plan that and then all of a sudden i was like what are onabugeisha then i was like click and then, and then and then the world became more colorful and brighter. And then magic opened. <laughs> I was like, "What?" <laughs> Very cool. Wow. Mm. Well done. Also, I'm going to tell you this right now. It makes zero sense to only educate and I realize that the world has been doing this forever. So long. It d- makes literally zero sense to not treat half of your population as just as good right it makes no sense right it doesn't it's not benefiting the world sorry it's not this was um wow also i just love the fact that they were like female bodies are smaller and instead of them being like you can't do as much they were like we're gonna make a sword that works better for you we're gonna craft something that makes more sense for you i think my favorite figure in all of this was the one that cut off the head and then beat somebody Damn. with it or something i love that oh no that's what i just feel like she oh did. oh but right she did she did she did cut off his head yeah right yeah that was uh tomo gozen yeah i like that i like tomo yeah 
she she baller. Yeah. And yeah, she was one of the most famous uh, Onabu Geisha. Wow. I mean, she's awesome. I, I, I mean, can see they why. were all amazing. Yeah, for sure. They all are great. But that's that and then was it, a big it, move. It makes me feel like, it, yeah, it is. It makes me feel like how many amazing stories are must have happened and now are just like gone. Totally forgotten and lost, you know? Yeah. If if anyone is knows anything more about these these women or was taught more or whatever, please let us know. Drop us a line. <laughs> also, we're really sorry for all of our pronunciations. Yeah, I yeah, I'm sure we fucked up I, like this whole episode. Like this was just an, an hour of fuck ups, but that's okay. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, a big thank you to the listeners who wrote in for my topic. This was and and your topic was amazing. And so yeah, like Anna said, if if you have any other information, please write in. And um Yeah. You know, stay stay cool. Nobody cut off any heads because I don't know that that's really a thing anymore. But uh, you know, well, <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, not literally, but if somebody mistreats you, rip off their a head. A verbal decapitation <laughs> is is approved. <laughs> and, and until next time, stay strange. <laughs>